it does look like there's lots of beneficial things going on, but I just want to, you know, kind of give that caveat that you cannot from this study say that, you know, a whole food plant-based diet reverses heart disease. It just can't be done. All right, everybody, welcome back to episode 15 of the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renke. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about can a plant-based diet really reverse heart disease? Kind of the big question here. You know, maybe see it on social media. Some people claiming that you know plant-based diet, specifically that specific diet, can reverse heart disease. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more here. First, I want to talk about the claim. You know, on the internet, you see a lot of stuff, but I've seen quite a few times people talking about how a plant-based diet can actually reverse heart disease. So not talking about like improve outcomes, can help you feel better. Talking about actually clinically reversing heart disease. So you know, we've got an obstruction in one of the arteries and it actually improves that narrowing. So that's the claim they're making. And they're saying it's the only diet that can do that. That's a pretty big claim. So the question is, can that be backed up? So today we're going to talk about a couple articles and studies that are often referenced for this claim and kind of look at them a little bit closer and see if they actually show reversal heart disease and what they really show. So we'll kind of dive in, you know, have a little nuanced conversation. It's not that black and white. Nothing usually is, but we're going to talk about some of the articles that people claim that kind of show the evidence for this. So let's dive in. First, we're going to talk about the Ornish Lifestyle Heart Trial. This is a super famous trial um, done in 1990. This was a randomized perspective trial. So a randomized perspective trial, meaning you know people randomized up, and perspective meaning looking at going forward. So we're doing something and following a group of people as they do something. But this trial is to look to see if lifestyle changes could cause the regression of atherosclerosis. So once again, I reiterate lifestyle changes. You know, the claims are that the diet alone reverses it, but this study in and itself is looking at lifestyle changes. So not just diet. I want to make that crystal clear. In this paper, patients were randomly assigned to an experimental group or a usual care group. In the experimental group, they were prescribed a lifestyle program that included low-fat vegetarian diet, moderate robot exercise, stress management training, and you know they had smoking cessation classes and also group support throughout the entire time. And with this, they kind of had the plaque measured at a baseline through angiography. And angiography is essentially where dye is injected in the blood vessels around the heart, and then x-rays are taken to see if there's any areas of stenosis or narrowing um, in any of those arteries. So that's kind of what to look for. All these patients previously had an angiography done for you know a specific reason for having coronary artery disease. So essentially, all of them had one to three vessel coronary artery disease. So they all had you know known atherosclerotic disease. They had this angiogram because that's just kind of based on standard of care, seeing where they're at, how bad their disease was, and so they were that kind of met the qualifications there. So they already had this going. Age range was from anywhere from 35 to 75, and overall looked at 94 total lesions in 41 patients. So doing the math there, obviously multiple patients had multiple lesions occasionally, but 94 total lesions in 41 patients here. Um, it, additionally, kind of checked their adherence. They completed a three-day diary, um, so it's kind of to see, hey, hey, were they following this? They did it at baseline. And one year later to say, hey, how are you doing with your nutritional and lifestyle interventions? You know, additionally, this the interventional group went to a week-long residential repeat to kind of start, and then they did a group support for four hours twice a week. So they kind of got this intensive boot camp to say, hey, this is what's going on. And then twice a week they'd also meet. So that's pretty, pretty insane. The diet that they talked about here, specifically, like I mentioned, it was a vegetarian diet, not a completely vegan diet. It was mostly fruits, veggies, grains, legumes, soybean products with no caloric restriction. So they didn't limit the, the calories in this. They did specify no animal products except for egg whites and one cup per day of non-fat milk or yogurt. So um, as you can see, this is not a fully vegan. This is obviously plant predominant and vegetarian, but they're still with a little bit of eggs and a little bit of dairy that it's not vegan. They did a B B12 supplementation though, just to kind of 
cover all their bases. And then they had no salt restriction unless someone had a history of hypertension. Overall, this diet had about 10% of its calories coming from fat though, and anywhere from like 15 to 20 from protein and then 7 to 74 from carbohydrates. So um, additionally, they kind of, it was kind of vague with the mission. Some people got meals actually provided for them. So that's pretty awesome that, you know, if I'm an experiment and get food set up for me, that's like, oh, great. Next, you know, one of the most stressful part of the day is you know, not a stressful part at all. Additionally, on top of that, they talked about stress management techniques, things like stretching, progressive relaxation, meditation, all that stuff. And they recommended they do this for an hour per day. So stress management for an hour per day. I don't know where these people are getting this time to do that, but that's what the, the intervention showed. Also, they recommended heart rate, you know, exercise with the heart rate around the 50 to 80%. So kind of our, our standard aerobic recommendations. And they recommended at least uh, three days per week with at least 30 minutes per session at that target heart rate. And then also um, the group had two sessions per week to kind of help with this adherence. So essentially all these groups that get together and make sure that, hey, how are we doing on the diet? How are we doing exercise, lifestyle, all that stuff? So they kind of consistently checked in there. So that's pretty sweet. I mean, like I said, that is setting someone up for success right there. I mean, you have all these people watching over you, helping you with your diet, your exercise, your stress management, and having accountability of face-to-face -face encounters. Like, man, that's like the ideal situation for success. So that was good. So what did we see in this? Well, we did see statistically different improvements in experimental groups in the amount of exercise, amount of stress reduction per day, decreased fat intake, LDL numbers, total cholesterol, ApoB, and weight loss, which they lost like 10 kilograms. So overall, they exercise more, they practice stress management more, their markers for cholesterol look better, and they lost like 10 kilograms, which is like 20 some pounds, which is pretty remarkable. I mean, 20 pounds of weight loss over a year is pretty darn sweet. Um, you know, they also did seem to have significant improvements in angina, which is like exertional chest pain in the experimental group when compared to the control group. So that seemed to be better. And then also the main thing they're looking at here, the lesions on the angiograms, they did appear to decrease on average in the experimental group when compared to the control group. Um, also, like I said, what they did find is that the people who were super strict with this and, and had a really high level of adherence that correlated with a bigger change percentage change in the stenosis on the angiogram. So um, that being said, there were also five people in the quote unquote control group who had regression of the plaques um, on angiogram. So that's just something that you know I think is really important to clarify that, hey, these people who did you know nothing were doing the standard of care also had regression. So that we'll, we'll talk about that a little more, but that's just something to mention. I did want to touch a little bit on angiography. There are some issues with it. You know, it's once again, that dye we inject into the vessels and then we use a type of x-ray to kind of see how the flow of that dye is working. It can show areas of stenosis or narrowing, but it actually can't show plaque. So that's like one thing I just want to take home from this is that it's showing based on the images, some potential narrowing areas, but we're not actually seeing inside, you know, the vessel. We're not seeing inside the lumen, they call it, and we can't see the actual plaque. So, you know, on these images, we might have some narrowing or some widening that could be due to something completely different altogether. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have changes just from the diet or lifestyle. You know, it could be um, other life changes, and in fact, who knows? It's also really difficult to reproduce these tests. So a lot of times that we can see some changes in these studies from study to study, you know, a lot of these changes that we saw could be within the margin of error. And depending on who's reading it or how they're performing it, it could be interpreted a different way. So, you know, based off of this, I just want to say we can't definitively say that any changes in angiography that we saw is due to specifically intervention. You know, it could be a measurement error. It could be other things, but either way, it's not necessarily saying that, Hey, this definitively is showing that it's regressing. Um, it, it, we just can't definitively say that one, cause we can't see inside the lumen. We're just using a proxy for that. So, um, and then two, also it's not convincing that it has to be that. Cause once again, we can't tell looking at the angiogram, but also our control group members, remember that how five of them had regression as well. It's like, well, what caused that? Obviously there's a higher percentage of people with quote unquote changes in the experimental group. So it looks like there's a trend towards that possibly being true. Um, but it's just something to consider. You know, if we see five people who had changes, but did nothing, what's actually causing that. And so who knows, but for me though, the takeaway from this overall, it's a fantastic study. It's super cool to see. This is a pretty intensive lifestyle management, you know, 
kind of category and, and study. There's lots of things going on there, but it, it shows that you can do this and it can be maintained for a year. Obviously, there were lots of resources here that most people don't have, but you know, people were, were sticking to this a year out and had lots of improvement in markers of cardiovascular risk, whether it's their angina symptoms or their cholesterol numbers, all those things, and weight loss into, as well. So huge, huge changes. I said the changes in the plaque was about 4% of the diameter. And the question is, is that clinically meaningful? We don't know. There's no real outcome data from this. You know, we had anginal symptoms, but we don't have things like heart attacks or strokes or dying from any of those things. So we don't know if like that change is actually clinically significant. So that's important to realize as well. Um, but we do know that diameter is actually related to the fourth of perfusion. So what that means essentially for every change in diameter, you get to the power of four. So small changes can have huge differences in flow. So that's, it's really important. So you might say, oh, only 4% and that actually could be significant. But once again, we don't know if that is clinically significant um, based off of no outcomes there. And they also state in the article that I thought was interesting, they said that this shows that traditional recommendations, um, like 30% fat, which is the traditional recommendations, is not sufficient to bring change. But they, for me, there's no way they were testing that. That wasn't what they were looking at. So I don't know how they made that claim specifically, but that is not something we can tell from here saying that, hey, the standard diet, which they, you know, the control group is on, um, it, it's, it's no good because our side is way better and they didn't have the changes we saw there. But once again, they didn't do anything. And over here, we have an enormous amount. It does, we don't know if it was the lifestyle changes that they made, the exercise, the stress management, all that. We don't know if that was causing the regression or if it was just the diet. So you can't say that one diet is definitively better from this. Um, but it's like kind of the whole lifestyle picture does seem to say that, hey, like if you do this whole lifestyle change, you're gonna have some good results. And I think nobody's gonna argue that. If you take, you go from someone who has coronary artery disease, sedentary, not doing much smoking, and then all of a sudden you have them stop smoking, you have them start exercising, you have them eating a plant predominant diet. It's like, well, what do you, what do you expect is gonna happen? So um, like I said, overall, super, cool study to read though this is like one of the, the benchmarks that everyone talks about but from this test and from this experiment we cannot say that a plant-based diet reverses heart disease you just can't do it that being said it does look like there's lots of beneficial things going on but i just want to you know kind of give that caveat that you cannot from this study say that you know a whole food plant-based diet reverses heart disease it just can't be done Okay, moving on, we're going to talk about the Esselstyn Report study. So this is a case series that was published in a family practice journal. So case series means this is not experimental. We don't have a control and experimental group like we saw previously. So it's just kind of saying, hey, this is what we saw. We did this with patients and these are the outcomes. Essentially, there were 198 non-smoking patients with, you know, multiple comorbidities, things like, you know, high cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes all that stuff. And all these people, they asked for some sort of nutritional intervention. So they're kind of a self-selected group saying, Hey, we want to do something. They were then put on a super strict diet. It was a diet of whole grains, legumes, lentils, vegetables, fruit, um, multivitamins, and uh, B12, but also there was no oils whatsoever. So no oil, no olive oil, nothing. And then also no meat, fish, dairy, or avocados, nuts, or processed foods. So super strict diet. You know, you're pretty much eating vegetables, grains, fruits. I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty strict diet. So Additionally, in this group, they were encouraged to exercise, but not required. And for this, there was no control group. So um, what they said is they used, quote, people who were, quote, non-adherent to their program as the controls, um, but no true control group here. You know, the, the problem with any sort of case study, just looking at people, there's so many different confounders that can happen. So we don't know what the outcomes were, if it was definitively due to the change in diet or other things going on. Um, like I said, if a lot of times you change a diet and you say, hey, you should exercise. Well, we don't really know how much those people exercise and what other things happen. So um, in, in a situation like that, usually we try to adjust for things statistically. You know, we'd adjust for smoking status, exercise, BMI, all that stuff. Um, but, we, you know, it's really hard to do it and it can be challenging. So. 
Um, additionally, also these people just to mention, they had one day of intense lectures. So essentially they had five hours of teaching about coronary artery disease and plant-based nutrition. So essentially they sat people down and like had a scared straight situation. They like showed him images and said like, this is what's going on with you know, your heart when you have atherosclerotic disease, this is how you regress it with these diets. Like this is it kind of like scared them and said like, this is what's going on. And the kind of framed as way of like education is helpful for adherence is what their thought were, which is actually kind of cool. Um, at the end of the day, it was, is it's really nice to get intensive education regardless of what it is, but I thought that was kind of a cool thing. But, um, and at the end of the day, when they decided who was part of the adherent or not adherent group, they say anybody who had no meat, no fish, no dairy, or added, added oils were adherent in that. And they follow these people out for about 44 months. So that's a pretty decent study. Study. That's pretty long. Um, before the intervention happened, 95% of these patients had angiography proof CAD. So like we talked before, had the dye test, showed some narrowing and said, okay, so they did have that. Um, what did they find? Well, the non-adherent groups, so the people who were you know, not following the diet, were more likely to have a cardiac event. So they said about 60% of those people had some sort of event, which is crazy. Um, and the adherent group had a rate of 10%. And like the, they had kind of stratified them into different levels of adherence. And the group that was even the least adherent or the least you know, best group still had only a 10% event rate as opposed to 60 of the non-adherent group. Um, additionally, the adherent group improved their angina symptoms or their exertional chest pain. Um, they also claimed that on radiographic or stress testing that the disease was reversed in 22% of patients. So, you know, stress testing, essentially what it is you can do multiple ways. You can, you know, put an EKG on someone's chest and have them walk up a treadmill and see if there's any signs of ischemia in the heart. You can also do echocardiogram where you're essentially looking at ultrasound of the heart while you stress it. So there's a couple of ways. And what they're saying is that, you know, in 20% of the patients, it was reversed based on those tests. Um, additionally, it is worth noting. I think it's always worth noting that intervention group lost an average of 18.7 pounds. So once again, that's pretty insane. That's almost 20 pounds. Uh, that's a lot of weight loss over a you know, pretty long period of time. But overall, 89% of the patients were adherent with the diet, which is insane if you think about it. You know, obviously, this is a very highly motivated group of people who want to adhere to this diet for 44 months. And so that takes a, a different, a special type of person. And we may not be able to extrapolate this into a general population. But um, just want to talk about a couple limitations here. You know, first of all, like I said, self selected group, super motivated. Like, question is, is this reproducible um, in the general population? You know, what other, what are things are our general healthy adults going to do or non healthy adults? Are they going to be able to say, hey, I'm take, cutting out nuts, oils, all meat products, all animal products. I mean, that's, that's challenging. And, and on top of that, we have these super self-selected motivated people who did this. So who said, Hey, I want to do this intervention. And they have this, you know, the average person who comes to a clinic and you, you know, if you give them this thing, are they going to be able to do that? Are they going to adhere with it? I'm not sure. I, I don't know how we're going to be able to extrapolate that, but it was, it was pretty cool to see though, like some motivated people, what, what can happen when you're motivated and you do the, you know, some really good things for your health. You can have some really good changes. And additionally, and obviously an issue I had was that how much weight loss happened in the group. And the question for me is all these studies that we always see, like the one we talked about before, and this one is like, we see this huge amount of weight loss and people are like, oh, like this caused this. And like, well, like does weight loss have anything to do with it? I don't, I don't know. It's not, not you know, we don't know for certain, but it definitely plays a role. Like pretty much anytime you lose weight, you have improved metabolic markers, which is pretty well known. And so it just plays a little confounding role. And, and once again, this wasn't a randomized study, so it's, it's really hard to extrapolate. So but once again, another good study, I would say though, from this, once again, cannot definitively say that this reverses heart disease. Um, you know, this, specifically, it's not a randomized controlled trial. You know, it's just looking at case kind of studies. We can't say that a, you know, this intensive dietary changes causes these results. Because once again, these super, super motivated people who now change their diet, how many of them change their exercise habits and their stress habits and they lost weight. So there's just so many things that's going on. Could it be causing it? Yeah, it could be doing that. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not possible that uh, an intense change in a diet can reverse heart disease. Like, it's definitely, it seems 
possible. It definitely could happen, but I can't say it definitely happens based on this data. All right, next we're going to move on to our final study. It's called, you know, one of the Cordioprev studies. And what this is, is it's looking at Mediterranean diet, actually. So like I said, the first two were whole food plant-based, vegetarian, or vegan diets. And this is kind of playing devil's advocate saying, well, is it just a vegetarian or whole food plant-based diet that can cause the reversal heart disease or the other diets? So we're going to dive in this a little bit here. This was a prospective randomized trial. So like I said, prospective looking forward, randomized meaning you have two different groups kind of randomized. So they're hopefully the same. And this is piggybacking off of a, the overall study called Cordioprev, which the Cordioprev diet overall was looking at a Mediterranean diet um, versus a low fat diet on secondary cardiovascular events. So things like, you know, heart attack, stroke, um, that's kind of what we're looking for. This study is kind of piggybacking off of that, use that data, but essentially what they're looking for is they're looking at reducing, you know, can these dietary changes reduce cardiovascular disease by assessing insulin media thickness um, in the common carotid arteries using ultrasound. So that's a mouthful that I just said there, but essentially we'll break it down. Insulin media thickness is how thick the arteries are essentially um, in the carotid arteries, which are arteries right here in your neck. And they use an ultrasound to kind of see as a proxy for how thick are they you know obviously if you look at ultrasound how much you can kind of see the size of it also the potential flow of it to see what's going on and this is a previously validated method to kind of be a proxy for atherosclerosis so obviously if you see a certain amount of narrowing then we can say hey this probably indicates some level of atherosclerosis um, not perfect once again we're not looking inside there but it's what they use to kind of evaluate that um, this was done in spain patients were 25 to 75 years old and all of them had established cardiovascular disease either a previous heart attack unstable angina or at high-risk features that they kind of determine in clinic, but none of them had you know any sort of event in the last six months. They were then randomized into either a Mediterranean diet with a minimum of 35% fat from uh, in their calories, 15% protein, and then a max of 50% carbohydrates. And then there was a low-fat group that had less than 30% fat and greater than 55% uh, carbohydrates in, in the form of complex carbohydrates. They put no limits on the calories of either of these. So once again, not isocaloric. They're saying, hey, go for it, eat it. Let's see what happens. And overall though, these different diets had lots in common in terms of, in terms of just lots of fruits, veggies, whole grains. So a lot of commonalities, but really switching up that fat percentage we're looking for. Outcome wise, they were looking for some blood work. They looked at lab fatty acids and they also once again looked at those carotid ultrasounds. And this had 731 patients and it lasted seven years. So that's pretty solid. You know, seven year follow-up for anything is, is pretty sweet, but 700 patients over seven years is a, is a lot of work for it. So good for them. Overall, what did they find? Well, overall, both diets reduced total energy intake. So kind of no surprise there. If you eat lots and lots of, you know, things like vegetables and fruits, that is going to you know be not as calorically dense. It's going to lead to a decrease in energy. But it's also worth mentioning they didn't specifically try to limit calories. It just kind of happened with these diets. The Mediterranean diet group did increase their fiber intake, increase their monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fat intake, and then decrease their saturated fat intake as well, as well as decrease their total carbs and cholesterol intake. Kind of so in the Mediterranean group had, you know, like I said, increased quote unquote good fats, decreased saturated fat, um, and decreased total carbs and cholesterol as well. Whereas the low fat group had increased total carbs and fiber, but then de decreased cholesterol as well, and then fat intake. Essentially, what they looked at here, the Mediterranean diet did seem to decrease the carotid thickness at five and seven years, whereas the low-fat you know, diet did not. And so once again, the Mediterranean diet seemed to have better outcomes when they did the ultrasound of the neck at five and seven years, whereas the low-fat diet did not have that. What they did see was a decreased height of the plaque. So essentially, you know, if we're looking at the narrowing of, of the, the artery, they saw that improvement in terms got a little less narrow, but it didn't decrease the number of plaques. So the plaques that were there were still there. They just weren't as prominent as they were before. 
Um, additionally, both diets show decreased saturated fatty acid levels in their blood after. So like I said, we're seeing kind of some decrease of the thickness of the you know proxy for atherosclerosis and all decreasing the saturated fats in the blood as well. And then what they found was the most important predictor of change was the initial, you know, how, how bad was the narrowing? If it was super, super narrow or, you know, the, the more narrow it was, the better odds they had of improving that. Um, and additionally, they also checked these to see, hey, how, how adherent were these people? They checked on, you know, biomarkers in, in the, the blood and then also dietary assessments as well. And they found that these people were pretty adherent. And so overall, it did seem like the Mediterranean diet appeared to be better than low fat, reducing the insulin thickness of the plaques. But once again, it didn't reduce the whole total number of plaques, just maybe regress them a little bit. So meaning that though, that those who the disease, they have, might have worse the disease. So let's say they have, you know, worsening disease, they might have the most to gain from intervention. That's kind of how I took it as a, hey, if your plaques are really bad, like it's gonna be even more important for you to do something because it might have a bigger benefit for you. And once again, you know, there's decent adherence here. So it shows that this can be a sustainable thing for patients out to even seven years. So that's pretty awesome for me. In terms of problems or, you know, things I want to talk about here, this was a secondary outcome of the trial. It wasn't the main part of there. So it's something you have to consider when you, you know, looking at secondary outcomes. That means the design wasn't made specifically for this outcome. They kind of said, hey, we have this data. Let's also look at this other thing. And so it might not be slam dunk saying like, hey, this is exactly what this shows, but it can be helpful once again. They also tried their best to adjust for things like BMI, weight, cholesterol meds, smoking. But once again, I list just a handful of things right there. There's so many things you can't control or can't, you know, necessarily include everything in those. So, you know, there might be something else going on that leads to these changes. So once again, the general takeaway is that it's a really solid study. I thought, you know, looking at a lot of people, looking at lifestyle changes and markers of health. And I, I really love this because it looked at heart outcomes in the in its sister study with CardioPrev in terms of, you know, the spoiler alert, they showed that the Mediterranean diet was super helpful for decreasing events as well. Um, but I like this study because it used a lot of people kind of piggyback off of that and kind of using this proxy marker. Hey, are we actually decreasing our, you know, atherosclerosis. But just like the other trials, the carotid insulin thickness is being used as a proxy for atherosclerosis, right? So we can't definitively say that this reverses heart disease. However, looking at it from my perspective, I step, step back here and I say, okay, you know, we're using this ultrasound method and we're looking at Mediterranean diet. Like to me, it's, this is just as convincing as any of those other trials we just talked about. So if someone's going to make the claim that, Hey, whole food plant-based diet reverses heart disease, then I don't see how you can't make the claim as well that a Mediterranean diet might do that as well. I'm not making those claims. I don't think the evidence is strong enough saying like, yep, this definitively reverses it. Um, but it's something that looks like they all kind of trended that way. But so it's kind of a cool thing to, to think about, you know, before it's only been exclusive to plant-based diets and now saying, hey, we have a Mediterranean diet that's showing maybe this is doing that as well. So maybe it's more than just the diet. Maybe it's the diet plus lifestyle. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on, but Overall, these are some really fun trials to look at, and I learned a lot reading them. It was really cool to kind of think about how they designed it and what it shows. And I think that the general takeaway is that there is a potential that these intensive lifestyle changes can lead to improvement in heart disease. But whether or not that's due to improvements in the actual plaque size or reversal is impossible to know. And honestly, though, it's not really that important. So um, we're still getting lots and lots of benefits. So like I said, if I... If I saw these benefits that we're having and I saw no improvement in the plaque, I'd still say, cool, we're still doing something solid, you know, and there's so many confounders, so it's hard to tell, you know, what's actually causing what, but either way, it does seem to improve multiple outcomes when it comes to cardiovascular disease. And then maybe you get the benefit of improving your plaque in your arteries. I don't know. To me, that's like, we're assuming that we can't do that. So if we can possibly do that with dietary and intensive lifestyle dimensions, awesome. That's like a cherry on top here. But like I said, it's it's kind of cool to see the options that we might have and interventions we could do. So 
Overall, I just want to say thank you so much for watching. I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this, if you could, you know, either like this video, comment, rate it, share with a friend, that would mean the world to me and be super helpful. Um, so once again, thanks for tuning in. Now get off the internet, go be physically active and enjoy the rest of your day. Disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.